Well, hello, everybody. It is great to see you. Great to welcome you today to Pathway. We're very much looking forward to the things that we have the opportunity to dig into together, and I'm looking forward to doing that with you. First of all, welcome to all of you who are present in the room. Welcome to those of you who are checking this out online or in one of our other campuses or venues. I'm glad for the opportunity to be together, and I am looking forward to digging into the text that is before us today, but before we get into that, I want to give you a little bit about what is coming up. And we are finishing up a series today, but we're kicking off a brand new series next week, and I'm really looking forward to this. We are getting into Christmas. If you're looking around as you think, well, it looks like we're already into Christmas, and, and that's just a little bit of a tease, but uh, we're going to have the opportunity to start a brand new series next week. We're calling it Christmas, The Rest of the Story. Christmas, the rest of the story. You know the Christmas story. Angels and shepherds and magi and the baby Jesus and Bethlehem. You know the Christmas story. But there's more to the story that oftentimes we never bother to get into. Things that deal with the, the narrative itself, but also things that sort of impact the coming into Bethlehem, the arrival in Bethlehem, but then what happens coming through Bethlehem and even exiting Bethlehem. There is so much of the story that's important to the story, as well as important to setting us up for all that is coming in Jesus' life. And we're going to dig into some of those things that you might not even be familiar with the fact that are even in the Bible. It's Christmas, the rest of the story, and we're going to be able to look at some parts of the Christmas story that are very, very familiar to us, and then where where does that lead us? I think that this is going to be a great exploration as we, we make our way through this in this Christmas season. We're kicking it off next weekend, so please come back. Bring a friend with you. Bring someone who can be a part of this. Now, going along with that, we've also created an uh, Advent season, or actually an all-of-December devotional that goes along with this. This is all written by members of our staff. And there's 31 days of devotions. It kicks off on December 1st. And before you make your way out of whatever service you're in today, um, as you make your way out, there will be people with these available for you to pick up. So you'll have that to get kicked off right away on December 1st. But there are 31 of them, and I'd really encourage you to be in this. And together, as a congregation, we can be making our way along. These are also going to be available to you through our app, as well as on the web site, and so you'll always have a digital access to it. In fact, it can even be deposited to you in your inbox, or your notification can come of that on the app as we make our way along each and every day, so you, so you won't forget. But we're excited about this. Also, to go along with that, um, we have a family Advent kit here that coordinates together with the devotional, and in here there are some other kid-friendly devotions. There are also some different ornaments that you can take and make together as a family with your kids that are celebrating the theme of that particular week, and it all coordinates and dovetails together, and so that all kicks off as December kicks off, and uh, so please be aware of that. Come on out and check out Christmas, the rest of the story. Very much looking forward. That's going to mean for us as a Pathway family in uh, this month that is in front of us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for what is coming. We're thankful for the anticipation of, of Jesus' birth and the celebration of that and all that that means to our faith and, and the parts that we know really well and the parts that we might not know so well that are also vitally important. And uh, Lord, we look forward to digging into that just like we look forward to digging into what you have for us today. 
as uh, we open up your word together with one another. We just pray that you'd be here, that you, would, that you would speak to us, that we might be a changed people for having been here, and as we consider how you're leading us out of the text in front of us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you don't have to be a fan or a regular viewer of shows, award shows like the Oscars, to know about one particular staple that is a part of all of those shows and often shows up in many of the acceptance speeches that are given by the people who win the awards. And that common feature that we see so often, if you ever watch it, is what is known as the wrap it up music. Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's when the person who's giving the acceptance speech just goes on a little bit too long, and all of a sudden the orchestra starts to swell in with a little bit of music. And so it tells the person who's giving the acceptance speech that they are boring, and it's time for them to wrap up all of their thank yous. Now, personally, what I would love to see them do is that when the award winner comes up onto the stage, that just up on the screen, it would just say the winner wants to thank the director and the producer and their agent and their mom and their dog or whoever they want to thank. It's just there, so they don't have to say that. They can just say other things would be, that would be much more interesting. Other pieces they might say, like, I'm really surprised to win this award because I'm really not that big a fan of the movie. I mean, that's something we would want to hear, right? That would be interesting to hear. Or they might say, I just want to thank all the other nominees for not being good enough to beat me. You know, things like that, we wouldn't have, they wouldn't have problems with getting viewers, which they have no viewers anymore, these award shows. They wouldn't have that problem. And there wouldn't ever have to be any wrapping it up music because nobody would want them to stop <laughs> because it would be interesting. All right, so today we're going to be talking about something as we think about this, this wrapping it up. And we're not talking about wrapping up acceptance speeches. We're talking about wrapping up something that is, that is far more important than that. We're talking about wrapping up a book. We have been studying over the course of the last several weeks a book of the Bible that has been fascinating. It has been a, a series that we've been looking at. What's the point? We've been asking ourselves, what's the point of life? What's the point of the book that we've been looking at? And it's been a raw and a real examination. It's been a challenging examination, but it's also been very encouraging and, and clarifying and I hope informative as we've made our way along and inspirational as we think about where are we and where is it that God would have us to go because of this book. Well, the book that we've been looking at, of course, is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. And one final time in this series, I want to invite you to open up a Bible to Ecclesiastes or your Bible app or somewhere so you can access it so that we can together be able to just look at these verses. Because as it's been all the way along, there inevitably are some verses that pop up and you're like, does it really say that? And you can look for yourself and you can see. It's always important to have the Scriptures open because we always work our way through um, some passage of Scripture, something that the Lord has given us to learn from. So if you've been with us along the way, you know that our author Solomon started out really struggling to find meaning for life, trying to find what is the purpose of what all of this is about. And he looked in a number of places that we might think, well, that would be a natural spot to look. He looked for meaning in money and in sex and in, in power. He looked for it in entertainment and in work and career and, and all of these things and many other ones as well. And he just keeps coming back 
frustrated. And he keeps coming back empty. And for chapter after chapter, it went on like that. And you're like, what in the world? And he keeps going, life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And that was the message for so long in this book. Until finally he comes to a place where he has a different sort of examination. And he looks now in that which is spiritual. That which is spiritual. And specifically, into things related to the Creator God. And all of a sudden, when he gets to that contemplation, he comes to recognize there's something different here. And all of a sudden, there's, there's this light that goes on for him, and we see him experiencing hope and, and truth and, and wisdom. And it's transformed his whole outlook. And we saw that as it's gotten later and later in the chapters of Ecclesiastes. He's just started dribbling it in at the start, and it's like we sort of see him starting to take it on and, and process it and, and start to uh, understand it even more and more as he goes. So today, we find Solomon at the end of his exploration, and he's wrapping this whole thing up. Now, I know that some of you have been waiting with great anticipation to get to this final chapter so you could really see what Solomon had as a conclusion because we're accustomed to books sort of revealing everything right at the end. So you've been waiting for that. Others of you were like, we were a chapter or two and you're like, I don't get it. I'm just turning to the end and I'm figuring this out. And so you turn there right away. And some of you were, how many of you do that with other books? It's like a mystery or fiction or something, and you're like a chapter or two, and all of a sudden you find yourself flipping to the back to read the last few pages. How many, yeah, okay, so you were those people. You were those people. <laughs> That's not the way you're supposed to read a book. Just, you know, Carolyn and I, we'd been married, I'm going to say, just, just a few months and I saw her reading a book, and she was flipping to the back, and I knew that she had just started it that night. And I'm like, what did I get myself into? Because that's not the way that you're supposed to read a book. So, anyway, in this case, it's okay. It's scripture. It's a little bit different. But whether or not you've read the end of the story, or whether you haven't yet read the end of the story, today we're going to be wrapping it up and see where Solomon is going to leave us with this great theme of finding wisdom for all of life. And he does so, or as he does so, he leaves us with some challenges. He's saying, here are some things that because of all of this that we've gone through together, here are some things that I want to challenge you to go and do. Some ways I want you to to progress moving forward from this moment out into the rest of life. So some challenges he lives, lives with us, or leaves with us, or, or maybe we'd call them some exhortations that he gives us for how to live and for how to move our way forward. We're going to look at those together, and there are a few of them that he gives to us. So the first of those challenges or exhortations, and this is for your outline there that is in your Pathway Notes. It's, it's available for you there on our app as well, however you're accessing that. The first of those exhortations is this. Don't waste your life. This is what he's telling us. Don't waste your life. Now, if you were with us last week, you saw that right there at the end of chapter 11 that he had aging on his mind, or different ages on his mind. He talked to the old people, talked to the young people. Well, here as he opens up chapter 12, we see he's very much thinking along those same lines. He's still thinking about aging here. Ecclesiastes reads as though it's sort of the end of Solomon's life, and, and he's looking back on all of the things that he's experienced. He's looking back on those very difficult years of trying to figure it all out, and then as God sort of 
reveals himself more and more. He comes to understand more and more of God. And so he's processed his way sort of from his younger days all the way through to his older days. And this is probably right toward the end of his life. And, and uh, this is going on for him. So he knows what it's like to progress through these different stages of life. And so he is one who has a little bit of authority on this topic, it seems to me. In fact, he spends several verses reflecting on the aging process. And he gives it to us in the form of a poem. That's why those opening verses of chapter 12 are in stanza form, because this is a poem. And so here's what Solomon writes to us. He says, on this topic of aging, he says, Just a line to say I'm living, that I'm not among the dead. Though I'm grateful, or that I'm getting more forgetful and so mixed up in my head. I got used to my arthritis, to my dentures I'm resigned. I can manage my bifocals, but oh, how I miss my mind. Okay, this is the wrong poem. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure how that got in there. Though, Solomon, when we do see what he writes, kind of sounds like that. And you're going to see that when we get to verse 3, you're going to see that. But before we get to verse 3, in verse 1, he's referring to this aging process as days of trouble. What he says there is that I find no pleasure in them. And if you're at that aging stage, you might be finding no pleasure either. Then he goes on in verse 2, he says, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. He's not talking about some apocalyptic event where the heavens are are growing dim, all of those lights. He's saying, I'm talking about your lights growing dim. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's talking about. Then, starting in verse 3, he turns to some of these poetic images, and he's trying to liken certain things that we all know in life, that we all experience in life, to basically parts of the body and what happens to them. And so I'm going to read this for you. This verse 3 through 5 is kind of where this especially happens. And you, while I'm reading, ask yourself if you can figure out what part of the body is he talking about in this. All right, let's try this. Verse 3. Then we'll go back and I'll explain it. Verse 3. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the window grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets." All right, so did you think you figured out some of what he's referring to there? I won't give you everything here, but let me just give you a little bit of a taste. He talks about grinders that are few. What do you think those are? Teeth. That's exactly right. They're teeth. Grinders, there aren't many teeth left. Maybe all the teeth are gone. And they didn't have lovely dentures that they could put in back in those days. I mean, they just had to get by, kind of like they do in England. Well, what about about the windows growing dim? That's the eyes. That's the fading of the eyesight. He talks about the doors to the street that are closed that have, he's talking about diminished hearing there. And I probably don't need to explain what being up with the sound of birds early in the morning is. It means that you can't sleep. Wow, you do that really quickly. I'm not saying that makes you old, but... I guess I'm saying that makes you old, actually, is what I'm saying. All right. One of the things that maybe is a little bit more veiled is he talks about the almond tree blossoming. 
It's veiled at li- until you know or you think about, well, what's the color of an almond blossom? White or gray? It's talking about the person's hair. As they grow older, the hair gets gray. Of course, eventually the almond blossoms fall off <laughs> and hair falls out, right? Yeah, that happens. In fact, some of you, I can see you've lost your blossom. <laughs> yeah. Just, just say it that way to the next person you meet out on the street. I see you've lost your blossom. Yeah, all right. They won't know what you're talking about, but you'll get a good laugh inside. All right. You might be like, okay, Solomon, I get it. I get it. You don't have to keep making the point. But he does keep making the point. Verse 6 says, remember him. That means remember God. Before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. What he's saying here, bowls and pitchers and well wheels, they were used to get life-giving water, life-nourishing water out of the well, but it's all broken now. And this person can't get it anymore, and so the nourishment that they need just isn't being provided. And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Solomon is a guy, we've seen this all the way along through the series, he's a guy who loves to tell it like it is. And he's doing exactly that here again. But his point isn't just to remind us that none of us are getting any younger. His point actually came all the way back in verse 1, right as he gets started. Maybe you noticed it, I kind of skipped past it a little bit, but here's what it says. We need to rewind and pick this up. He starts, he says, remember your Creator, Remember God, he's saying, in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. His point is to get serious about following after God as early as you possibly can. Because the earlier you start in that process and on that journey, the more opportunity that you have to give your life over to serving Christ. The longer that you have to give your life over to doing things that are going to matter for kingdom purposes. If you do the opposite, if you wait, if you put it off, or if you don't engage in following after God and remembering your Creator and pursuing Him, then it just gives more and more opportunity or a longer time for you to have all sorts of things that might come up, pop up, work into your life because you're not pursuing God, that eventually you're going to end up in a place of regret because you have that much more opportunity because you're not pursuing God to have all those other things pop up in your life. The truth is that you're going to give your life to something. We all do. We can't not give our lives to something. So his question really essentially is, well, why not Jesus then? If we're going to give our life to something, if we're going to, to give an emphasis on the directions that we go and the, and the things that we involve ourselves in and the, and the processes we go through day by day, it says, why not let it be Jesus? Don't waste your life going down the path that are just going to bring pain and heartache to you and to other people. Get serious about this as a youth is what he is saying. Now, maybe you're a parent and you've got kids in the house or Maybe you're thinking about having kids. You don't have them yet, but you're anticipating maybe they're going to come into your future. You have the opportunity to set those kids up with the greatest spiritual success possible by being serious about what Solomon is telling us here, by getting things started and helping them get started in their youth. What a great blessing that is that you provide for your kids when you take that step, most definitely. But that doesn't make it a sure thing or automatic. The odds go way up in your favor if you'll do two other things. 
Two other things, and this is what they are. Number one, to make spiritual pursuits a daily focus of all of your life in your home. Make spiritual pursuits a daily focus of all of life in your home. See, it's vital that those who are young would see consistent, sold-out faith on the part of their parents because you can't embed what you don't embrace. You can't give to anybody else what you don't already have yourself. Now, a lot, a lot of parents sort of take that approach. It's like, yeah, well, I'm not going to get that serious about it because I'm not all that interested, but I, I, I'm sure hoping that my kids do. I'm hoping that they'll, they'll excel in ways that I'm not modeling or ways that I haven't excelled for myself, but it rarely ever happens that way. It's, of course, only by the mercy and grace of God that that would happen. But if you just look at statistics, what you see are families where there's not an intentional pursuing of Christ that successive generations fall further and further and further away. Just the way that it happens. You can probably think around you of people that you know, maybe family members. Maybe it happened in your own home where there hasn't been that sort of intentionality and you see the next generation just sort of slipping a little bit further than the one before and, and maybe just throwing in the towel altogether. The place where there is an exception to that is when there is a daily demonstration of the importance of Christ in a home. And then it's not all that unusual for the successive generation to actually go beyond what their parents have done because there's a foundation that's been established, something that can can have fuel sort of poured on it through the, through the way that that home is being, or the way that uh, Christ-likeness is being modeled in that home, and it can take off and it can soar. This is very, very important. So that's the first of the things. The second is this, to engage yourself and your kids in ministries and programs and environments where they might be encouraged to grow forward through the peer relationships that they have through the ways that other people who are around them are helping you as a parent to move them forward and to help propel them into something else. It's vital that young people would have a network of friends who are helping pull them in the direction of Jesus because your kids are being pulled towards something. They're being pulled towards something. Just a matter of how intentional are we choosing to be to put them in environments where that environment is actually helping to pull them in the direction that you're praying that they would go. Solomon says it's vital to get on this early. Of course, he's not just talking about children and and youth. He's talking about all of us here. You're never going to be any younger than you are now, so there's no time like the present to seek first the kingdom of God and to get on with it. You might say, well, I wasted all of those years. I've wasted decades of my life by not doing this. Okay, well, you're never going to be any younger than you are right now, so there's never a point further back in your youth than now to get on what he's calling us to do. And that would be the challenge that he would leave with us and I'd leave with you. Don't waste your life. If we fail to make God this pursuit, we're at verse 8 now. Meaningless. Meaningless as the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Throughout the book that we've been studying, we've seen that life apart from God is indeed meaningless. But we're offered more than that. Much more than that. The point of all the meaningless that we've seen throughout this book is for a purpose. It's to point us toward meaning. That's why Solomon emphasizes so much, this is meaningless, that's meaningless, this is meaningless, that's meaningless. Well, what possibly has meaning? He says this. And so here, as we come toward wrapping it up, we see him pointing us again in this direction to something better, and that something is Jesus. Jesus. 
whatever age and stage that you're at, it's not too late to turn to God and live a productive life. Some people, sometimes older folks, can feel like they're in the way, like they're useless where they used to have so much that they were contributing, and in part because they sort of feel kicked to the curb. And sometimes they do get pushed a little bit to the curb in ageism and and the rest. And so they feel that. Or maybe they get to a place where they feel guilty or bitter or resentful or even fearful about the way that life has turned out. But if that's you, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Remember that. And that God has provided benefit for all of life. The psalmist says it like this. The psalmist says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. There's still opportunity ahead. So regardless of how many days you feel you have left, don't waste your life. Move it forward. Engage while you can. And that would seem to bring us to a spot where sort of bookends Meaningless, meaningless life. It seemed like this would be a pretty good spot to end. Put a little bow on this whole book and, and let's just be done with it. But Solomon doesn't do that. It goes on. And there's a bit of a, a summary, a bit of a wrap-up. And he's got a couple more exhortations that he wants to give to us if we're going to find ourselves in a place where we're really taking and, and living this out to the full. And that's what he desires for us. So what are these last couple of exhortations? Here's one of them. Let wisdom lead you. Let wisdom lead you. All along, the focus of finding wisdom has been central in this book. So it makes sense that that key consideration, or it would be a key consideration, as he comes to the conclusion. Verse 9, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Just saying that Ecclesiastes is orderly, it's intentional, it's here to, to communicate a truth communicate wisdom. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. They prod in the needed directions. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails. They're secure and eternal truths given by one shepherd. Now, this word shepherd is very, very interesting. It's important that we would ask ourselves this question, who's he talking about? Who's the shepherd that he has in mind here? Now, some people would say, well, it's Solomon. Because Solomon, he is referred to himself as the preacher, as the teacher, and sometimes preachers, teachers, pastors are referred to as shepherds. And it's possible that that would be the case. If it is the case, it's odd that it's the only time in the entire book where he's referred to himself in that way, where there's been many, many, many times where he's called some of the teacher, the teacher, the teacher, the teacher, the preacher, the preacher, the preacher. And so all of a sudden just say, and now I'm in the shepherd. Is it possible? yes. Is it probable? No. So then, who is this? Who would this be? Well, there's somebody else who's referred to as the shepherd over and over and over and over again in the Scriptures, even in the Old Testament. In fact, we find it in the best known of all of the Psalms. Psalm 23, what does it say? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The wisdom we find in Ecclesiastes is more than Solomon's own take on wisdom. This is God, essentially, who is providing for us this wisdom, and it should be regarded, and it should be followed in all that it says. Then Solomon even adds how we should guard ourselves to make sure that we're not 
running after error or things that are not truth. Verse, verse 12, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, in addition to God's wisdom, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. <laughs> and much study wearies the body. That should be every student's theme verse right there, don't you think? Yeah, you're at home and your parents are on you. They're like, you got to get your homework done or, or you're in class and the professor is just assigning you way too much reading. You just got to say to them, look, professor, I'm just trying to be biblical. I can't do that because much study wearies the body. Just don't tell them I told you, okay? But uh, that's, what you should, that's what you should tell them. Actually, his point here is not about studying too much, as you probably figured out. It's, it's that we can get confused and, and led astray by every wind of teaching that is out there. Do you know there are more than a million books that are published every year? Then add on top of that all of the blogs and all of the posts and all of the, the columns that are out there that are coming from who knows what direction and who knows what point of view and who's no, who even hardly knows on the internet what the source is that's, that's behind that. And he's saying you've got to be very careful that discernment, the need for discernment is great today. So check the credibility of your sources. He says be very, very careful because there are many people who would lead you astray. We've looked previously that others, you know, other scriptures, other books where, where the focus, the emphasis is oftentimes on false teachers and, and all the error that can, get cre- that can creep in and the way that people would desire to lead you astray and off into error. And you know that that's the case all around us today. So he's saying, don't allow that to be the case. Make sure that you're looking back to the source of truth, the source of wisdom, he says. Let wisdom lead you. And he says, you can never go wrong looking to the shepherd looking to the Savior of our souls. Then there's one more exhortation that he gives here before he wraps this whole thing up, and it's this, to submit to God's purposes. Submit to God's purposes. So we've come right down to the end, and the teacher just lays it out there in summary, all right? You ready for this? Verse 13, he just gives it to us. Like he boils all of this down and says, here you go. Now, He says, verse 13, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. I think we need a drum roll. Thank you. Okay, keep it going. Hold it. Come on. There we go. Now all has been... Keep it going. There we go. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Stop. Here it is. Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. All along, Solomon's like, where's it at? Where's it found? Where's the meaning? What's the purpose? Next chapter, where's it at? Where's it found? Where's the meaning? All along, we've been trying to build up to where is it, Solomon? What is the truth that you would have for us? He said, okay, fine, here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. He's essentially saying, submit to God and his purposes. Now, I know that word submit is not a favorite of people today. We don't like the word submit. We like being in control. We like being in charge, and so we resist things that put us under authority, that force us to submit to someone else, to something else, to some other idea, to some other person. We don't like that, but here's the thing. You cannot fear God and keep his commandments without submitting. So, we need to ask ourselves, is it which is, the, which is the direction I'm going to go? Am I going to give in to my desire to not submit? Or am I going to give in to a desire to 
not pursue God? What's the direction that I'm going to go? And the, and the conclusion that we come to, or the answer we give to that, is going to determine whether or not you are going to serve and honor and love and work toward kingdom purposes or not. It's that black and white. Submission is not something that we do well, but it is something that is absolutely essential if we are going to fear God and keep His commandments. And in addition to the blessing that comes from applying wisdom in our lives, we're offered another motivation here in verse 14, if you look at it, for why to take the step of submitting to God's purposes. He writes, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. This is a sobering reality. This is a sobering reality. God is going to expose the thoughts and the actions of every one of us. It will matter how we spend our time. It will matter how we spent our money. It will matter what we looked at, what our mouths said, what our hands touched. He says it's all going to be judged. He'll bring to light every secret sin. And, interestingly, also expose every anonymous kindness, every act of charity, every expression of generosity. It'll all be judged. Paul agrees. He writes, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. Now, on the one hand, that seems really ominous and really scary. And on the other hand, I also find it comforting. I believe that Solomon brings up the final judgment because at the end of it all, everything matters. All along, what's he been saying? Everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. But it's not, after all. What we believe matters. How we live matters. Whom we honor matters. What commandments we keep matters. It all matters. If there's no judgment, no judge, then there's no purpose for life, no pleasure, no meaning, no hope, no future, no justice. There's nothing apart from that God. It might make us a little nervous to think about that day, but we want there to be accountability because it means that there's a sovereign God who cares. And ultimately, that's what we need to know most. And that God who cares also loves. And He loves us enough that as the weight of all of those sins pile up, as the list gets longer and longer and longer of the things that are going to be exposed, and as that just causes our conscience to just uh, bubble over in fear and in anxiety, God comes to us in a sovereign, loving grace and essentially says, yes, that's really, really ugly. But good for you. I'm taking that all out of the way. You're not going to be damned for any of those circumstances, any of those sins, because of the grace and the love and the mercy of God. For all, like Solomon, who come to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord.
he understood it in the person of God. But the same idea of faith drawing us to a Savior, to one who can provide for us. That's the grace of God for those who submit to God's purposes. And to submit to his purposes means that I acknowledge that which one day is going to be judged. I acknowledge, yes, that is me. Yes, that was my life. I'm guilty of those things. To submit means to say, yes, that's who I've been. To submit means to say that I'm stuck, I'm lost, I have absolutely no hope on my own because of the list of the things that stand against me. To, to, to submit says that I long to be freed of those things and recognize there is nothing at all that I can do on my own. But there's nothing I need to do on my own because it's all been accomplished through Christ. But in order to have that grace applied to our lives, we need to submit to the point of saying, it's no longer about me. I want to become your child. I want to live for your purposes, God. I want to live toward your holiness. I want to submit myself, my life, my desires to your interests, to your desires, to your will for me. And as we submit, as we bow our knee to Christ, he offers us hope and eternal life with him one day. It is the most beautiful of all pictures. And the fact is that Solomon long ago, writing a book of Ecclesiastes, all along has been pointing us in a direction. All along he's been pointing us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the solution. He's been the answer from the very start. What seemed meaningless only finds its meaning in Christ. We're nowhere if we have only hope in hobbies, hope in our own abilities and our own careers, our own work. If that's where it begins and ends, then we're stuck where Solomon was to start. But as we submit ourselves to God's purposes, we find hope and we find life. Ecclesiastes takes us down the path of life and considers all the other possibilities for finding meaning and purpose, but it brings us back to the singular conclusion that peace is found in God and God alone. And you can know that peace for yourself. And before we conclude this look at this book, I want to give you that opportunity once again. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today as one who hears these words about a judgment coming and that just causes tremendous fear to rise up in you and tremendous uncertainty over what that day is going to be like and, and how it's going to end because you know what there's been. You know what's on that list for you. You know how long that list would be. And you're feeling a sense of hopelessness, friend. Today, you have the opportunity to find hope. 
you have the opportunity to apply the wisdom of this book to your life by submitting yourself to the purposes of God, to his will for you, and to find your meaning in him. Not searching after it in all sorts of other places like Solomon did, but to zero in and narrow in on that which can provide, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. So if that's what you would desire, to walk in submission to God so that those sins might be dealt with through Christ, through his work on the cross, to take your sin out of the way, then you can simply pray and tell him that. In a prayer, something like this, you can just say quietly right where you are, and if you mean it in the spirit of your heart, then it'll be done. Dear God, I confess I am a sinner. There is a long list of sins that stand against me and that there is nothing that I can do on my own to take them out of the way. And so today I'm going to stop trying to find my own way, to find my own meaning, to find my own purpose and acknowledge that it's found in fearing you, in honoring you, in keeping your commandments. So today I confess that sin and I ask for your forgiveness and I submit my will to your will. Come and be my Lord. Come and be my Savior. And friend, if that is the prayer of your heart today, then, then it's accomplished. It's done. It, it's settled. The, the fear of what the future will be needs to be your fear no longer because that's what Jesus did on the cross was to take those sins out of the way. They're still vile, they're still ugly. We'll still account for them one day. But we won't be judged for them toward the death that we deserve, but rather we'll have life because of the newness that we find in Christ. And that's settled for you. We rejoice together with you in that. Father, you know where all of us are. You know where we need to Stop wasting our lives. Maybe we've given our life to you, but we're kind of running off in one direction. We certainly wouldn't be those people who are, who are fully invested in following after you with all of our days. And we pray today that we would have the courage to, to turn in your direction so that we'd be investing our lives in all that you have in store for us according to the wisdom that you reveal to us submitting ourselves day by day to your purposes. For we know in that there is great wisdom, and we know in that we are following after the message that we have learned from the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon himself, to trust Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen.